Well, you risked the water to be here, so congratulations. You know, it is amazing that the last song's about following God's vision, and it was seven or eight years ago, actually about nine years ago, that we felt like this property and building this property involved moving 310,000 cubic yards of dirt. If you want to know what that looks like, look across the street, what not having it looks like compared to here, that was 210 truckloads a day for 120 days. So this land used to be 12 feet lower. We had to let that land sit for two years as we prayed for dirt, and God provided this foundation that is now our parking lot and our building. So pretty amazing how God, even in the startup days of this building, was faithful as we began to try and sense. In fact, today, if you tried to build this building um, it would cost twice as much just because we were able to build it in 2008. And because of some changes in ordinances, you probably couldn't move that kind of dirt on this property today. So it's pretty miraculous how God led and was our vision to make this facility for us. Well, today we're talking about seeing clearly. God opening our eyes, allowing him to be our vision. And Doug was supposed to be delivering this message today. If you want to pray for Doug, he's with us today. He actually um, lost sight in one of his eyes this week. Uh, ironically, for a message on seeing clearly. So we're praying for him. He's here with us today. Uh, he's lost uh, sight in one of his uh, eyes, and they think there's recovery possible, um, but he's going through that process. So if the message stinks today, um, blame him. <laughs> no, not really. Um, so delighted to fill in for him. I had him fill in for a Leviticus talk, so check, we're even. I'm often amazed uh, how I can be blind to... A full understanding of what Jesus is talking about because I don't know the Old Testament well enough. Every time Jesus speaks, he's always, always, always pontificating and bringing a full meaning out of the Old Testament. So I've been reading through the Sermon on the Mount in our startup series, the Sermon on the Prairie, trying to say, where is Jesus' text? What is the passage in the Old Testament that he's unpacking for us? And I'm going to show you even more of this next week. But I began to look and I found in Deuteronomy 28, Jesus' Bible, is a sermon by Moses that begins with blessings, followed by woes, talks about good treasure, talks about trees and olives, and it talks about sight. Look at the parallel here, because I think it's going to bring some insight. That when we're open to who God is, Moses says, there's blessings that come and an openness to seeing yourself properly. When you see God right, you see yourself right. And look how Jesus parallels this in his sermon. Luke 6, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who hunger, blessed, blessed. Moses' sermon in Deuteronomy 28. Blessings, if you walk diligently with the Lord. Blessings will come here, blessings will come there, blessings on the city, blessings on your body, blessings on your, your kneading bowl. Then Jesus launches into a series of curses or woes. Woe unto you who try and get all your meaning now in this life. Woe unto you who are full now. Moses does the exact same thing. Cursed you'll be in the city. Cursed you'll be in the country. Cursed you'll be. Here are the consequences of walking away from seeing God clearly. Then there's a whole section about how we see. Jesus says, why do you look? Your brother's eye. How do you perceive? Your own eye. Deuteronomy says, when you don't see God properly, you lose the ability to see yourself. So you shall be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes see. See, the more blind I am to God, 
the more blind I am to myself. And seeing clearly is allowing God to help me see everything in my life through his eyes. The problem is we have blind spots, and they're significant. And one of the blind spots Jesus is going to address is this tendency we have that we judge ourselves the way we hope God judges us. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We give ourselves a good excuse. You need to understand, the reason I did that is because such and such happened. We give ourselves second chances, third chances, fourth chances. We assume the best about ourselves, and we hope God will do the same. But the blind spot is, we do the opposite when it comes to other people. We judge others totally different from how we judge ourselves. And Jesus says, if you want to spot and work on this blind spot, you need to notice that you judge others harsher than you judge yourself. You need to make a flip. Your blind spot is you judge yourself the way you hope God judges you. But I'm telling you, to blind spotting is going to require you to start judging others with mercy and grace the way you hope God judges you. And look at how he unpacks this. He talks about three types of people. The first group of people are forgiven people. That forgiven people are free to forgive. Judge not others, and you will not be judged by God. See the connection? How you judge others is connected to how God will judge you. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Well, this must be the most quoted and most misunderstood passage of the Bible. Right? Because in our current society, you're not allowed to judge anything. Jesus said, don't judge. So you make a truth claim and somebody says, the Bible says don't judge. But what are they doing? But judging your judging. So what is your rebuttal? Well, I'm not. I'm kind of offended. Jesus says, do not judge my judging. You're judging my judging with your judgmental attitude. So what does Jesus mean here? Does he mean you can't judge a, a dance contest? You shouldn't have rule and law in a society? No. In fact, Jesus will go on in this passage and talk about judging the speck in your brother's eye. You need to call it what it is, but you need to first look at what's wrong with you. He's going to talk about judging the difference between good fruit and bad fruit that come out of a certain stem. The Bible's not against judging. It's about against a certain type of judging. And he tells you right here in the context. The type of judging... That you condemn a harshness, a I didn't get all the facts first kind of judging, a I presume I know the facts before I have the facts and I've come to conclusions kind of judging. And when you do that, you don't forgive. You're much more forgiving to yourself than you are to others. And if you want to be a forgiven person, you need to fully understand that God didn't condemn you the way you deserved. He didn't judge you the way you deserved in Christ. And he offers forgiveness. And when that moves from your head to your heart, you begin to experience that you are truly forgiven. You start doing unto others as you know God has done unto you. And that's why our first step of learning how to be forgiven is to learn how to spot a blind spot. To start noticing that you give the benefit of doubt to yourself, but not to others. And when you do that, you become blind. I mean, have you ever raised, worked with, or been married to somebody with a blind spot? 
my wife and kids have. Someone who doesn't notice they don't listen well. Someone who's blind to the fact that they're so harsh in their criticism. Someone who's annoying in their people-pleasing. They so don't want conflict, they cause conflict because they're so worried about conflict. They have a harsh tone. Somebody who's a compulsive complainer and griper and they don't even know it. Blind spots. And the first blind spot, the center core blind spot Jesus talks about here is this idea that we give the benefit of doubt to ourselves. Oh, sure, sure. It's not a lot to forgive. There's really a good reason why I acted that way. While we come down with a hammer on everybody else. And that's why forgiveness is not what you think. Forgiveness is not pretending that something didn't happen. No, it really happened. It probably was bad, even worse than you think. But so are your need for forgiveness before God. Forgiveness doesn't mean you minimize, oh, no, it really wasn't a big deal. No, it was a big deal. That rape was a big deal. That murder was a big deal. We don't minimize in the court of law. We don't minimize in God's court either. You don't minimize the the infraction. You maximize the grace. Forgiveness isn't forgetting. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you need to forgive and forget. Now, you remember the hurt, but you also remember that you've done far more that God's forgiven you for, and you pass on the forgiveness to others that God has given to you. Forgiveness means remembering the hurt and pain, but choosing not to hold it against the other person because God didn't hold it against you. Now, isn't it true that you forgive yourself much easier than you forgive others. You judge yourself differently than you judge others. Mr. Quinn, for example, he's eight and a half. He's got autism and blindness, and I give a lot more grace to his behavior than I do to my other kids. He got up at four in the morning two days ago. Boom! Hey, and he's alive! It is great to be alive, Dad! And he always does the same thing. We're sleeping in our bed. He crawls up into our bed, and he only enters a bed one way. He jumps up in the air, Flips over and body slams himself down. Pow! And starts laughing. Ha 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 ha! I did not let my other kids get away with this. Then he crawls up and lays his head on my cheek and begins laughing. Ha 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 ha! Because he loves the feeling of me not quite shaving at four in the morning and he loves feeling that on his face. And I give a lot more grace to him. In fact, two weeks ago, um, he had seizures for the first time. We got this phone call from the doctor. saying, well, From my wife, the doctor, and the people who were with him. Said, He's had two seizures, and it was just scary. And so we're rushing to the doctor and rushing over to meet my wife over there and get some EEGs done and all this other stuff. It took us about two days to get through the whole process of getting the testing done. So now it's Friday. And I get a letter from my neighborhood saying, Mr. Hoven, I'm not sure you realize this, but you left your garbage can out 12 hours longer than we allow in the neighborhood covenant. <laughs> Do I think to myself, hey, they're just enforcing the covenant we all agreed to. Hey, you know, it, 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 I agree to this. I got to keep my word. No. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm wishing they would presume that it must have been a good reason why. I remember I was in graduate school, and Mr. Fetzer was one of our professors. And the first day of class, he told a story about the need to respect one another, honor each other's time. And he said, uh, I remember one year, 
He said, I had a guy sitting in the back of the class, and he fell asleep while I was lecturing. And he started snoring. And I grabbed my book, and I was so angry. I walked in the back in the middle of my lecture, and I went, BAM! I told you, you don't fall asleep in my class. If you can't stay awake in my class, don't even show up. Went back to his lecture. After class, a student sheepishly came up to Mr. Fetzer. He said, I am so sorry, Mr. Fetzer. I did not mean to be disrespectful. As you know, I'm married, and my, my wife uh, had to be rushed to the hospital last night at 2 in the morning, and we were there till 4. The good news is it was taken care of, but I, I got up at 4 to be at your class at 8, and, and I, I just really want to apologize. Mr. <laughs> Harsh, condemning, blind-spotted judgment. We presume we have the facts toward others. We come down harshly, and yet we give ourselves... You need to understand I didn't get the garbage out because my son had seizures, Right? Spotting your blind spots. Here's a little test to help you out with that. How open are you to new information about how you handle your anger? About how you're doing marriage? About your tendencies in parent to either be overly loving or, you wouldn't call it that, or overly strict? How open are you to new information? Most people I ask this question give themselves a seven. But you give yourself a number. How open are you to truly new information about how you're doing life? And now having received that information, how open are you to change? Whatever your numbers you gave yourself, I want you to multiply them together. In this case, you have a 35% chance of hearing the truth. It's a gigantic blind spot. Now, maybe you gave yourself an eight. Maybe you just upped yourself to an eight. (laughs) Two eights. You have a 64% chance of hearing the truth. Gigantic blind spot. And if you want to hear from God the truth about the areas you need to grow, the areas you need to change, how you think, how you listen, how you handle anger, how you handle your money, you've got to say, God, it's all on the table. I'm open to new information about any aspect. I'm open to change in any area you want to put my, your finger on. And then you've got a chance of hearing the truth. Blind spots. Secondly, our biggest blind spot, our biggest problem is our blind spot. And we don't really believe that. If you listed our top ten problems, many of us wouldn't say our blind spots even in the top ten. But Jesus says, spot your biggest problem and your biggest problem is your blind spot. Look what he says. He spoke a parable to them coming out of this judgment and says, Can the blind lead the blind? Or will not they both end up in a ditch? The reason your organization ends up in a ditch is because the leader was blind. And that blind spot didn't just hurt him. They ended up in a ditch. The people you lead, the people you influence, all get hurt by your blind spots. Which is why it's your biggest problem and my biggest problem. Research shows that each one of us, in America at least, the average person has 3.1 blind spots. Not weak spots you're working on, blind spots you're oblivious to. And it affects your leadership, it affects your limits, but you can't grow with what you don't know. And when you're blind to what you need to know, you're not growing. So it limits your growth. It puts a lid. And Jesus goes on to say, the biggest limit and the biggest blind spot you have, it's not even small. You think it's a small problem. 
It's a log coming out of your eye. You try and turn to your brother and say, let me work on that speck in your eye when you got a two-by-four coming out of your own. you got a railroad tie coming out of your own. No, 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 no. He's got a railroad tie. i got a speck. She said, no, no, no. Your biggest problem is that blind spot. There's a book called uh, Blind Spots. It's a graduate-level ethical um, diagnosis on what causes blind spots. And they talk about the human tendency to minimize and compartmentalize in order to get yourself off the hook. When the Challenger exploded, they had hired an engineering company to give the sign-off that things were safe. That morning, the temperatures were lower than normal. So the engineering firm that was giving the sign-off, one of the engineers named Morton said, I don't think we should launch because 7 out of 24 times, these O-rings have not held at low temperatures. His manager was kind of angry about this data point, felt an obligation to NASA as the client to launch today, minimizing access to the data just by his hostile attitude. He finally said, that's it, everybody out of the room except the managers, we're going to have a five-minute management decision. He said, we've got to make a decision. NASA wants to know, go, don't go. This is strictly a management decision. we got five minutes. And they gave the sign-off for the launch. And as researchers and ethicists looked at this particular example, they said one of the things that would happen there is that they took out the risk factor by saying it's just a management decision. They're being too risky. We're, we're, we're being bold. Rather than saying, no, this is a life or death situation. It really could blow up. 7 out of 24 at low temperatures is worth considering. Sometimes we label something a certain way to get ourselves off the hook or to allow the data to say what we wanted to say in the begin with, which is what happened here. Which is why we need to be ruthless about looking at our blind spots, the planks in our own eye. We need to learn to see through the spots, to recognize our tendency to not handle anger a certain way or to be too people-pleasing, to see the spot... And then see through the spot. See the situation we're in in light of the blind spot we're beginning to become aware of. And Jesus says that. How can you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you don't even perceive the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck from your eye when you got a plank in your own? Hypocrite. Which is a word used in the Greek culture that time meaning an actor. You're acting like you know what you're talking about. You're acting like you've got it all figured out. You're acting like you don't have any problems and that you can accurately take the speck at his eye. Stop acting and first, look at that word, first. It's going to be okay to judge the speck, but first learn to see the spot in your own eye. Learn to see how much you've been forgiven for. Learn to see how much grace God's given you. Then, having removed the plank from your own eye, you'll be able to see clearly so you can remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's amazing how seeing your blind spot can clear the whole landscape. I'll give you an example. Look at all those black and white dots. And for a moment, tell me what you see in the scene. Just think to yourself, what is, what is the scene about? So it's not about anything. 
Except there's an elephant in the room. It's not an elephant, actually. There's something in the middle of the picture that when I tell you about that, everything will clear up. We're walking through a park, and there's a Dalmatian dog right in the middle. And he's walking away from us toward a tree surrounded with leaves. Now do you see the whole picture? And now, every time I put this picture up, you'll see it. You'll never be able to go back again. In the same way, when you see your weaknesses, when God begins to convict you of what you've been forgiven for and the grace you need, everything becomes clear. And forgiven people are able to forgive other people. Second type of people in this text are blessed people. Now, Jesus hasn't switched subjects. Blessed people are people who are aware, who first looked at their planks. They're forgiven people. They're unjudged people. They're uncondemned by God people. And those people can give, and it will be given back to them. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, put into your bosom. For the same measure you use to give others grace and generosity, it will be measured back to you. Now, this certainly has financial applications. You often hear this in a giving message. If you give financially to God's work, it'll be given back. It's certainly true. That's not his main context here. His main context is God has given you so much. How could you not extend that to others? Do you like potato chips? You know, the thing about potato chips is, you get a bag and you're like, oh, I'm so hungry, it's going to be so good. So you open up that bag of potato chips and you're like... a lot of air that's not a lot of chip what happened and many of us we we don't really realize how much grace we need how much forgiveness we need it's a lot of air and because we don't realize we've been forgiven much we don't have a lot to share and so i'm like well if if the bag had been full i would share a little bit but it turns out it's like a fourth full jesus is the opposite is true with god The metaphor here is not about potato chips. The metaphor here is about grain. In those days, you went to get your grain, you would sit down, and your your garment, your your outfit, your blouse, your your clothes would be down. You'd have the basket on you and say, give me some grain. And, And they would pour out the grain and fill it all the way up. Then you would press it down, get all the air pockets out, fill it up again, pour in more grain. Then you'd shake it and let all the air sippy down to get all the way down. Then they pour in one more time, so it's heaping over, and many of it would fall into your bosom, meaning your lap is the word there used in Greek. And so you had not only the, the bountiful amount of grain, but the, the, the extra. That's how forgiven you've been. That's how merciful you've been. That's how God has treated you. And if that's how much you have, how could you not give forgiveness and grace, and second chances, and the benefit of the doubt to others. That's his point. Blessed people, forgiven people, are able to be a blessing. That when somebody insults me, did they insult me? It was genuinely an insult. I didn't hear it the wrong way. But I don't have to insult them back, because God gave me grace when I insulted him. When somebody attacked me, I don't have to get everything back, because... When I've attacked God, he didn't attack me. When when a family member manipulates me, I don't have to manipulate in return. I can give in abundance because God has given so much to me. 
we create an environment of grace for people to grow. It's one of the reasons we start as a church. Our mission statement is to comfortably connect people to God. I've been to a lot of churches that uncomfortably connect people to God. But this concept running all through the Bible is that the grace and love and unconditional favor of God creates an accepting environment for you and I and our friends to come and grow. And one of the themes that runs through all of our messages is the gospel. Because the gospel says you can be fully forgiven of everything you've ever done. Which is why you can be open to your blind spots. Because someone critiques you and you're, you're going to get defensive. You think to yourself, no, 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 that's not what the gospel tells me. That's me defending myself. Me being my own self-righteousness. Whether it's a spouse or son or daughter or a mom or a dad or a coworker or a boss critiques you, you, you can say to yourself, wait, wait. Jesus forgave me for a lot more than I realize. This probably is true. I don't want it to be true. I don't like that what's feedback coming to me is true. But I'm open to it. Because my security is found that even if it's as bad as I think and worse, Jesus already paid for it. Jesus already forgave it. And that gives me the fortitude to be able to be open to critique, open to feedback. Because I'm no longer needing to defend my identity. My identity is set in Christ. And though you and I may say we're Christians, we don't act like Christians. Because though we may be getting to heaven, we don't know how to incorporate the grace of God into our life when criticism comes our way, when feedback comes our way. We need the gospel to deeper saturate into our mind and heart so that we're not so defensive, so that we're not so harsh, so that we can be more gracious. Because blessed people can give because they've been given so much. And lastly, we'll come back to the uh, theme I didn't touch on previously in this verse, which is that unaware people can become self-aware. And the power of the Bible is that you and I can change. We can be different. We should not be the same people we were last year, two months ago, three years ago, if the grace of God is growing us and challenging us. We should be more generous people, more gracious people, more teachable people, not as defensive people as we once were, because the grace of God is helping us spot our blind spots. We're becoming blind spotters, judging others the way we want God to judge us. More than want, judging others the way we know God already judged us. Here's how Jesus says it. Can the blind lead the blind? No, 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 of course not. They both end up in a ditch. A disciple is not greater than his master, his teacher. You recognize I need someone else who knows more than I do, who has more experience than I do to teach me, to help me, to lead me. You come to every argument, you come to every situation, you say, I need to be perfectly trained. The word perfect in the Bible often means mature. I need to be trained into maturity, trained into the light, trained into openness about those blind spots I currently don't see. Open to the grace of God working in there. Apparently I need to turn off my, my uh, plane mode next time I speak. <laughs> now everybody's going to get on my Facebook page. So put... Perfectly trained. So that I can become self-aware by the grace of God. There's a great story in the voyage of the Dawn Treader. Eustace has acted increasingly greedy and self-centeredly. So much so that he's turned into a dragon. He's turned into the thing he acted like. 
Aslan, the Christ character, comes to him and says, I have a pool here, but you've got to take off the dragon scales before I can wash you in the pool. So Eustace tries to pull off the first layer of scales, and it's painful as he pulls it off. But what's worse is when he gets it off, he finds there's an even rougher, tougher layer of scales underneath. So he tries to pull that off, and again, he cannot get it off. Even the pieces he flakes off, there's another layer of skins and scales right underneath that one. He finally turns to Aslan and says, I can't do it. Aslan, that's right. I've got to do it for you. And Aslan pulls out his claws and comes over to the dragon. And that's where we pick up the story when he says, The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone deep right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel away. Well, he peeled the the beastly stuff off, just as I thought I'd, I'd done myself the other three times. And there it lay on the grass, ever so much thicker and darker and more knobby-looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch, but smaller than I had been. And then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that very much, for I was very tender underneath, now that I had no skin on. And he threw me into the water. Oh, it smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And then it became perfectly delicious. As soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found the pain had all gone. And then I saw why. I had turned into a boy again. And that is the beauty of God's grace. It's not about you trying to work on your blind spots, because you're blind to them. It's being thrown into God's grace, realizing you're a new creature. So now you can look at those old scales and say, probably me. Yes, God, thank you, forgave that. Train me in how to not allow that to control my life. Blind spots. We judge ourselves as we hope God will judge us. But the grace of God moves us to the ability to be blind spotters, judging others the way we hope and know that God has judged us. One of the biggest blind spots churches have is in the startup series is they become blind to their friends, caring for their friends. They become a holy huddle. They start speaking religious language. They're all about grow, 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 grow me, and which is all great, but then they forget to reach out to their friends. But the vision of our church was that God would be our vision to create a two-service design to both equip us in the deepness of the Scripture but also create environments where other people could come and know him as well. As I want to take you on a journey, as we're in this series, as we've been thinking about why we started and designed the church the way we have, it was really to see that God would create a facility to facilitate grace. So I want to take you on a quick journey, historically, and show you what the last seven years have been like and what it was specifically like right before we built this facility eight years ago. Let's watch. Pretty amazing, isn't it, how faithful God has been? As you know, in our series, we're just continuing to build on that foundation of grace. And as I've talked over the last 10 weeks, we're continuing to uh, raise money for an additional uh, growth area of 20% capacity. If you feel like you'd like to be part of the next phase of our story, and we're trying to raise about a million dollars, you can do that over one, two, three-year pledges 
an additional $200,000 operation so we can offer additional services at our 850 and our 10 o'clock service. So if God's prompting you to see clearly about ways you want to give unto others the way God and others have given unto you for this facility, feel free to contact us at the office about ways in which you can be part of that. Speaking of all the dirt that got moved, you got to see, apparently in the last hour, the flood has continued over the road. So work with our, our parking team as you leave today. There's not only one way out of this place, uh, so you need to leave out of what's typically our exit. The people are going to be coming in the exit because they can't get to our entrance coming from the uh, um, Wooster Pike side. So just be very patient. It's a chance to be patient unto others the way God was patient unto you. We appreciate you being here, and thank you again for experiencing God's grace and continuing to extend that to others. Thanks for being here today.